0: Hello again to another episode of The Lawyer You Know. This is George Tragos, and I'm standing in again for Peter Tragos. And we're doing the second portion or part two of the Derek Chauvin trial analysis. We'll try to give you the facts. We'll try to give you some opinions. And you can decide whether or not you agree or disagree with us. But it's important for everyone to know, and it's our purpose to let you know what's happening and what's happening in the legal community. So most of this will be based on questions that we've been asked about the trial. We're in the second week now. And in week two, we've seen the state, the prosecution end. We've seen the defense put their case on. The defense has rested. And on Monday, there's going to be closing arguments. The state put on two weeks of witnesses, 38 witnesses altogether. The defense put on seven witnesses over two days, and that was their total case. And then, of course, we had the surprise to some that Derek Chauvin didn't testify. So let's go through some of the questions and find out what it is you want to know about the trial. First, why a bench trial and not a—why a jury trial and not a bench trial? Well, first off, you've got a bench trial, which is just the judge. But I can tell you, here's what lawyers think. With a jury, you've always got a chance. Even if you've got a weak case, it's possible the jurors will pick up on something that no one else thought of and find that to be reasonable doubt. For instance, you introduce photographs in the evidence. In that photo, there's a shadow. Some juror looks at that shadow and says, aha, someone else was in the room. The lawyers never thought that shadow had any significance at all. But a juror will make his decision based on something they found in the evidence. Jurors love to be detectives when they take the evidence back. So if you've got a jury, you've always got a chance, and it's the wisest move to go with a jury. Some people are questioning whether or not he even has a right to a fair trial. This is one of the most disturbing parts of this. The ACLU objected to the union paying for his defense, saying that police officers and the union are trying to clean up the police department. So what message does it send to try to clean up the police department and yet you're still defending this man? The ACLU, come on, they're supposed to be the group that always goes for the underdog to make sure that justice is done. They complain all the time about justice being done, the right to a fair trial, the presumption of innocence, And yet, they don't want to give this man that same presumption. He paid union dues for years. He is entitled to that defense. And he's entitled to have his union pay for that defense. So it really, to me, is not inconsistent on the part of the union, but it's inconsistent on the ACLU to take this particular position. Who's paying for the trial? Well, as I just said, the union is. Uh, There's a fund of about a million dollars willing to pay for this trial. They're paying for the defense lawyer. They're paying for lawyers that are helping the defense lawyer. We've seen experts testify in the trial for the defense. They're paying for the experts. All of the expenses are coming out of a union fund designed for law enforcement to be protected and that's why you join a union. Why is this case unique? Well, volunteer lawyers probably aren't unique in Minnesota. They would be in Florida. I've never seen a case where it's happened in Florida. But up there, the volunteer lawyers, apparently, it happens all the time, and these volunteer lawyers aren't being paid. Why are they doing it? Well, you can think of a lot of reasons. Maybe they want the publicity. Maybe when the movie is made, they want to be part of the movie. Maybe they want to write a book. Or maybe they just feel that an injustice was done, and they want to make sure that justice is done in this case. So they're adding their expertise to the case. However does it really have a good optic for the jury? One of the wise decisions by the defense lawyer is to sit alone at that table with his client. He looks like the underdog. He looks like he's being picked on. He looks like he's being beaten by all these prosecutors. Whereas the prosecutors have rotated different groups, different people have done different parts of the trial, and it looks like they've got this huge army, and they're going against one little David sitting over there. And so they make it look like the David and Goliath look. That was a wise decision by the defense lawyer, not to have anybody else do this for him, but for him to do it all by himself. It's a lot of work. I know he had help behind the scenes, but he questioned every witness. He did all the cross-examination and he put on the defense case all by himself. Another question asked is people want to know about the traditional blue wall of silence where police officers never turn on each other and never testify against each other. When I was an assistant U.S. attorney, when I was an assistant state attorney, I found that to be true. And as a defense lawyer, I have represented police officers, and I found that to be true. The U.S. Customs Service, um, when I represented a U.S. Customs agent, all the agents testified for me, all the way up to the Deputy Commissioner of Customs came down from Washington to Tampa to testify for my client, and he was acquitted. But they all gathered around him, and supported him. And just like in this case, the union paid me, just like the union is paying uh, Derek Chauvin's attorney. In this case, and in today's atmosphere, I truly believe that is changing. I think that law enforcement is starting to realize that people are starting to be suspicious of them because of that blue wall. That they're really starting to talk about race relations in the police department they're talking about systemic problems systemic racism in the police department and police departments are trying to show that they are changing that they're not the same police department they were many years ago and that people can trust them can rely on them and i and i also think that they're making sure that this trust is very public and this is a chance derek chauvin's trial is a prime place for the police department to show that there is no blue wall of silence. And you've seen that over and over again. The chief of police testified against him. Sergeants testified against him. Training officers testified against him. Over and over again, law enforcement testified against Derek Chauvin. This is certainly an example that the blue wall of silence no longer exists in a case like this. And I think that, again, it's designed to make sure the public knows that. In the defense case, there was no police officers from his local police department testifying for him. And that was a shocker. Nobody was there supporting him. No training officer from the local police department. They had to bring someone in from outside the area to testify about the training and whether or not what he used was a justifiable use of force. Because universally, his local department washed their hands of him and basically hung him out to dry. And again, maybe properly so, but they certainly did it in a very public way. Why isn't law enforcement on trial? Well, that's the smart part of this. It was smart that the the prosecution did not put law enforcement on trial. They said in the very beginning in their opening statement, he betrayed the badge, which means we support the badge. We're prosecutors. However, when you betray the badge, you put yourself out there all by yourself and you deserve to be prosecuted. Because generally speaking, and I I know we see the atmosphere and I know we see uh, what's in the papers and what's in the press and the social media. But I tell you, from all the studies Generally speaking, police trust their law enforcement. They want the police there to protect them. And therefore, attacking the police would have been a bad strategy. Attacking one bad apple, better strategy. And so that's what the prosecution did. And that's why they didn't put them on trial. They were smart. Is the defense pointing finger at law enforcement? Not directly. The only thing the defense is doing is pointing finger at the training. And you've got two opinions about training. One is you've got the strict training say, oh, he was never tra- trained to do this. Although under Cross, some of the training officers did say he was not trained not to do this. He just wasn't trained to do this. And then the defense put out an expert saying what he did was acceptable under the circumstances. Has the case changed from opening statement? Not really. Uh, they did say in opening, the state made a commitment. We're going to show that it was oxygen deprivation. That commitment was made even though they had a medical examiner that wasn't so sure. The medical examiner kind of wavered and vacillated about it. He said it was homicide, and he's the one that actually did the examination. But then the state brought in tons of experts to say that it was asphyxiation from, it being, from the knee being on his neck for that nine minutes, that that deprived oxygen from either his heart or his lungs, which is the way everybody dies, by the way. Everybody dies by saying the heart and lungs stopped working. But the deprivation, the cause of the heart or the lungs stopping working, that was the, the reason. That's what they're looking for. What was the cause that they stopped working? The defense in, in the opening statement said this case is more than just the nine minutes of video and that's what they're doing because they're going outside that nine minutes and in fact the prosecution did too because they all went back to training use of force training was this acceptable under the circumstances so therefore it it really didn't change but the defense really is going beyond because it has to go beyond those nine minutes Derek Chauvin did not take the stand That is not a bad decision. There was a lot of evidence. He's gonna be cross-examined about his police chief. He'd be cross-examined about his training officer. They're better off keeping him off the stand. And although he made the decision, and we've also seen where the uh, uh, judge asked Derek Chauvin directly, and it's the first time he spoke during the trial, took his mask off. Are you sure? Is this your decision not to testify? We all know the defense lawyer advises him, but it is that constitutional right that's being waived. And when the judge asked him those questions, he said it was my decision, so he did not testify. But did he really not testify? Don't forget that there was a body cam right after Derek, uh, right after the uh, Floyd was put into the ambulance. Here is what's recorded. These are Derek Chauvin's statements, and the jury heard these statements. we got to control this guy because he's a sizable guy, and he looks like he's probably on something. The jury did hear Derek Chauvin's defense statement and did hear him say that. So it's not like he totally didn't testify, but he didn't open himself up for cross-examination, which was the smartest thing he could have done. What has the defense put on in their case? Well, they put on approximately six or seven witnesses, not the defendant. These witnesses go to use of force and go to the science. The science is an interesting part. This was a doctor named Fowler who testified that Floyd had narrowing arteries, an enlarged heart, high blood pressure, drug use, the stress of his restraint, vehicle exhaust, and a tumor or growth on his lower abdomen that can play a role in high blood pressure. He says what should have been there, or should have been on the uh, ME's report, not homicide, but undetermined. The argument is there were so many causes and so many factors out there that you cannot say what killed Mr. Floyd. So if you can't say what killed Mr. Floyd... If you can't say it was definitely the actions of Derek Chauvin, then a reasonable doubt has been raised. And that's the standard. All the defense had to do was raise a reasonable doubt. The next person was an expert on use of force. If the use of force was reasonable, if you talk about the crowds, and people did testify about the unruly crowds and how things looked like they were getting out of control out there. So if that distracted Derek Chauvin. If Derek Chauvin used reasonable force under the circumstances, or if there's a reasonable doubt about whether he did or didn't, it's a not guilty verdict. Cause of death, reasonable doubt about what it was, a not guilty verdict. These are what the defense was trying to raise in those two days of testimony. Did they do a good job? Well, I I don't know. The prosecution just just buried them with the science and and buried them with the use of force and talked about the people that actually trained him. They testified in this case, it's it's hard, frankly, for me to believe that they totally discounted and totally raised a reasonable doubt in this case. So my prediction, I think it's going to be a guilty verdict. I think he's going to be found guilty and I think that he is going to be sentenced. Now, whether he's found guilty of Uh, What crime? I'm not sure, but I think it'll be the most serious crime of second-degree murder. One of the uh, questions we get is how come this video can be shown over and over again on social media? Yet social media says all the time they are censoring videos, that they are not putting these violent crimes on video. They are not putting murders on video. Yet they've made the choice to completely and repeatedly show this video, Mr. Floyd? Well, first off, it's a private company. All these companies can do whatever they want. They can waive their own rules whenever they want. Secondly, you have to ask, is there a motive that they're doing this? Is there a reason they're doing this? And thirdly, is this of such great public concern that you have to put it on there because the public demands it and demands to see it? Obviously, it's a public, it, it was played in public in court, and it's been played repeatedly uh, all over the, the news and all over, the, so, all over social media. Then there's another question. Has this case changed the way we view trials, the way we view these kinds of crimes? Ask yourself, if this hadn't been on video, would we be having this trial? Would Derek Shelvin been charged if someone hadn't had an iPhone and video would happen. That is changing the way we live our lives. It's changing the way law enforcement conducts itself. Body cameras, that's changing the way we live our lives and conduct ourselves. And this trial, this trial has been a center of attention now for over two weeks. And it's going to be the center of attention next week. I wonder, what would have happened, how things would have gone. Many of us were old enough to remember the O.J. Simpson trial. In the O.J. Simpson trial, it captivated everybody. Everybody watched it, but we didn't have this kind of social media then. We didn't have all this video playing all over the internet. And you remember, there was a movie made about O.J. Does anyone think there's not gonna be a movie made about Derek Chauvin? And then last but not least, in a suburb of Minneapolis, another black male was shot by law enforcement. And there's been a charge that came out of it. Right in the middle of this trial, another police officer was charged with a shooting. Is that going to affect the jury? The jury right now goes home every night. And the defense lawyer has asked this judge to sequester the jury. Sequester means you take the jury, you put them in a motel, and not allow them to watch TV or talk to anybody or see any news to make sure they're isolated from any of these events. On at least two occasions, the judge has refused to sequester the jury. However, the judge told the jury uh, today that if they are deliberating, and when they deliberate, which way they will, next week, after the closing arguments of the prosecution and the defense, the jury is going to be sequestered. They're going to be locked in a motel room no outside contact other than what's monitored by law enforcement and the bailiffs that'll be watching them until they come out with a verdict so they'll be locked eating only with each other talking only with each other and deliberating only with each other so it finally is going to be a sequester so how are they affected by what happened in that suburb how are they affected by the news How's that jury affected by the protesters you know they see that are outside the courtroom when they walk in and out every day? No one really knows. All we can hope for is that the justice system works and that jurors are people who listen to the jury instructions, are not influenced by other things other than the evidence that are in in the courtroom. That's all they can make their decision on. So let's hope it works. We will be back, I'm sure, after the verdict. We'll talk about it and we'll see what the aftermath is.